My name's Vicki and um, yeah, so great to see you guys this morning. Um, well, I'm a mom of two young boys and um, what that means is that uh, Christmas is a big deal for us. And my younger son, Arthur, he's four. And I think this is the first year where he understands that Christmas is like real, you know, like before it was just like all random, you know, like, oh, this is just any other day, but there's a tree and some presents, you know, like, but this is the year where he like is looking forward to Christmas where he is like waiting for Santa, where he's like excited about baby Jesus and you know, all the things. So when we got the Christmas tree, obviously he was like over the top excited, but then, you know, once we put the Christmas tree up, then he was like, let's put all the decorations on. And then once we put the decorations on, he's like, where are the stockings, you know? So we put the stockings on up and then he's like, so, basically tomorrow's Christmas, right? So every single day since Thanksgiving, he has like expected it to be Christmas and he's expected Santa to have come and put stuff in his stockings and for presents to be under the tree, you know? So basically that's my life every single day for the whole Christmas season is him asking me every day, like, why hasn't Santa come yet? Like, is today Christmas? And we've been, it's been so fun because in one way I get to experience Christmas all over again, but with wonder and joy, like the joy of a four-year-old and the wonder of every single light that is out there. He's like, it doesn't matter if the decorations are janky and from Dollar Tree, he's like, it's amazing, you know? Um, and so I get, it's, it's so fun in that way to experience the wonder and joy of that. But it's also obviously a little annoying because you're like, I mean, okay, this is like the 40th Christmas tree we've seen. So like, that's yay, you know? I don't wanna, I can't match you in that excitement anymore. Or like, I don't wanna have to answer you every single time. Yes, no, it's not Christmas yet. You know, we've done, we, we've counted the days. We have like the advent calendar. You can obviously see it's not Christmas yet, you know? Um, so we've also been trying to incorporate advent stuff because, well, partially just for my sanity to help him count, but also because we're like, oh yeah, there's more than just Christmas. There's more than just presents and all those things that it's so easy for them to think Christmas is about. But I'm like, oh, it's about waiting for Jesus to come. You know, it's about the in-between time where people have been in waiting in darkness, walking towards the light, you know? Um, so one of the things that we've been doing has been the cards that we've gotten from Missio and talking about the different themes of Advent and about the Christmas story and the ad moving up to it. But the other thing that we've been doing is um, we have been um, doing the nativity scene but each day of Advent, we add a new character to it until Christmas day when we, um, baby Jesus comes, you know, so he's the last. So sometimes I'll say like, Arthur, baby Jesus is not there yet. So it's not Christmas yet, you know? So that's what we've been doing. Um, Advent for us in this season, whether or not you've been part of celebrating Advent or this is new to you, the, the season is really about remembering that Christ has already come for us, right? Just as we celebrate how people have been waiting for Jesus to come 2000 years ago. But for us, we get to celebrate that Jesus Christ has already come to save the world. 
And yet we recognize that the work of redemption is not gonna be finished until he comes again, right? The, the tension of the now and the not yet. He has come, but it's not fully fulfilled, you know? Um, and that also reflects personally in our own lives, right? That we, we remember that tension in ourselves, right? That we are saved from our sins and from death, but we're still a work in progress, you know, that we are still struggling with different things. We still um, fight temptations and the evils of our own heart. And we're not going to be fully redeemed until Jesus comes again. And Advent is just this acknowledgement of shadows, but a constant walking towards the light. And that feels appropriate because, you know, we're walking towards winter and the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting longer. And so we're very aware of those short days and long nights, you know, but we know that we're walking towards the light, that there's gonna be light at the end and we get to celebrate that. Um, so Advent is um, laid out in four Sundays and each Sunday has a theme. Um, Advent, um, we celebrate hope, peace, joy, and love. And this week we get to focus on joy. And first I just wanted us to watch this short clip on what I think of when I first think of joy. What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. I love that. Smile is my favorite, right? When we think of joy, we think, oh my gosh, like it's Buddy the Elf. Like, does it get more joyful than that? And that is what we get to talk about today is about joy, right? And yet we feel like, look, that's not me, right? Because it is in these places of tension and juxtaposition that we're, in, we're invited to joy, right? And some of us, like Buddy the Elf, are excellent at joy. You guys are amazing at seeing the good in the midst of shadows and all that is wrong around us. You guys are awesome at gratitude, which is the sister of joy. And we just praise God for people like you because there are people like us who are naturally morose and see all that is wrong in the world and we get fixed on it. And we need people like you to remind us that there is joy that we aren't merely meant to stay in the shadows, but we get to walk towards the light that there is good around us. Um, and so I know that, you know, um, sometimes we think, oh yeah, like joy has to look like Buddy the Elf, you know? Um, but we, part of the reason why we're invited into community is that not all of us are naturally like 
joyful like that. And we need people like that in our lives to kind of help us choose joy. Um, and, you know, like, um, like I was saying, one of the ways that we are celebrating Advent at our house is with a nativity scene, but we don't have enough characters um, every day to add. We're like, we're pretty much done, you know? Um, and we're like down to three characters, um, two, well, four characters. So we have the wise men and baby Jesus. And so my son Augie decided that we were gonna start bringing the wise men in, but like from really far away. So like each day they're like slowly taking steps closer to the nativity scene to buy us time. Um, and I love that, right? Um, so, you know, let's talk about the wise men this morning because I love the story of the wise men. And, um, and even though we know a lot about the nativity scene, they're like this fixed part of the story. We don't always talk about the wise men and what their story is here. So if you have a chance to um, turn to Matthew 2 or, you know, we'll, we'll see it on the screen. Um, let's go ahead and read Matthew 2 this morning. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay. So we know that these wise men are sometimes called magi and they're from the East. Um, so scholars have said that they're possibly from Persia or Arabia um, and they are known as astronomers, right? So Magi are wise men who look to the stars for wisdom, for prophecy, for how they understand the world, right? And we hear that they see a star that rises that um, disrupts the skies that they know super well. They see a star that they don't know and they don't understand. Um, and so um, we don't fully know how they are able to connect the dots to know that it means that the king of the Jews is being born or that, um, yeah, we don't fully know how they come to that. It's possible that they know they have access to the prophecies of Daniel who lived in Babylon at the time and have prophesied about the king of kings that was to come that would redeem the world, 
right? Or maybe God just spoke to them, but it is these foreigners who do not have access to the Old Testament, who do not have access to um, Jewish understandings and history, um, who have been told about this new king. And they travel for months to find him with only one clue, a star to follow across nations and cultures, right? Um, it is it is that they see a star out of the ordinary and in their disruption, in this divine disruption, in the way that God breaks into their world, um, everything's changed, right? These are guys that are old studied men who sit in their libraries, reading books and looking at the stars. And you can imagine um, what's going on for them when they are able to connect that this savior of the world is about to come, right? And they decide because of a star to leave everything that they know to go find this king. And that's crazy. That's crazy to me because we listen to this part of the Christmas story and it's normal for us, right? Because it's always been part of the story, right? Like you can't have a nativity scene without the wise men. And so, yeah, the, the three kings are there. They've traveled and they have gifts, you know, like frankincense, gold and myrrh. Even my four-year-old know the gifts that they bring you know, um, but we don't think about how they had to travel for a year to get to baby Jesus, you know, that they had to um, pack up everything and the gifts and go ahead and make this huge long journey, which probably started before Mary even heard from the angel that she was going to have baby Jesus, um, that they start their journey, even though they don't, they aren't Jews, but they're going to go for a pilgrimage to worship the king of the Jews, right? What must they be hoping for? What would their anticipation look like knowing that it is a year-long journey towards something that might not happen or might not be true, right? They, they are speculating about the star. They're speculating about what it was probably going to mean. They don't know exactly where the baby is gonna be born. They have no idea what this journey is gonna lead them to, and yet they go, right? It could have been so easy for them to read about the star and look up in the sky and wonder and be like, that's great. There is gonna be a crazy phenomenon happening on the other side of the world and I'm going to stay here because I'm an old man and that's not what I do. I don't go on these crazy adventures like Indiana Jones, you know, like I stay here, I read books, I write books and I look at the stars. That's what I do. Um, and yet they are compelled by this incredible news, by this potential for joy that they leave their normal lives. And it says that they go to King Herod because of course they would assume that the local king would know what is happening in his land. That if a king of the Jews is to be born, he would probably be born in the palace in Jerusalem, right? So they decide to head towards Jerusalem. And yet King Herod not only is not aware, but it says that all of Jerusalem is not aware that the king of the Jews is being born in their, in their world. Um, and instead of seeing this as an opportunity to rejoice, King Herod is intimidated by this new king. He's fearful of this disruption to his power, to his reality, and it is his fear and intimidation that leads him to great evil, that we know in history and in scripture of what is going to happen, right? So 
he pretends to be seeking to be a worshiper, asking the wise men to report back so that he can worship. But we know that later on, he orders all the firstborn males to be slaughtered, right? Um, and he goes and checks with his people. He's like, okay, so supposedly the king of the Jews is supposed to come. These wise men who don't know our scriptures is telling me that. So do you guys know? And, and they say, oh yeah, yeah. There's like a ton of prophecies saying that uh, the king of kings is going to be born at some point, that God is going to send his son to come and redeem us. And he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And they kind of shrug it off because they're like, we don't know if that's ever going to happen. And surely that's not happening in our lifetimes because we've been waiting forever. So who, who knows when this is going to happen? It's almost become legend. And so King Herod tells them to go to Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem, who, which is a small um, podunk town in that region and um, to look for the baby. Now, they fall, it says that they follow a star to Bethlehem. So they are told to go to Bethlehem, but they see the star and the star lands on Mary and Joseph's lodging. And it says this, that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And finally, they get to the destination of their long journey and they get to exactly what it was that they hoped for. And they get to go in and worship him. They get to offer him the gifts that they have carried for a year specifically for the king. And they hear from God in a dream later on to not return back to Herod so that Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus would be protected as they flee to Egypt. So the question here is what is the word for us here about joy, about our posture towards joy? So from, from this passage, I see a number of things. Um, three different observations that I see. The first is that the wise men are an example of people who are actively seeking out joy. They don't settle for knowing that joy is out there or put off by the long journey to get to the promise of worship and joy. They don't think it's not worth it, right? Like, yes, there is this amazing phenomenon that's going to happen. It is in our lifetimes that the savior of the world is going to come, but the journey's too long. And we don't know where we're going and we shouldn't be the people. I'm sure that there are other people that can go and worship him, but it's not worth it for the joy, right? Like I said, these are not the typical people that you would expect to take these long journeys into unknown lands, right? They're not used to that. Their bodies aren't used to that sitting on, you know, like these camels or whatever their vehicle, you know, like their vehicle of movement is, Right? But they do not want to miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime moment. They're willing to work for it. It is the joy that moves them out of their comfort into the darkness for the promise of the light ahead. And the unknown, the uncertainty doesn't stop them. How many times are we stopped because we're like, I don't know exactly where it is, and I'm not going to start the journey until I know exactly where the destination is. They have no idea. They're going to take a year-long journey towards I don't know where. You know, like, I think the general vicinity is Jerusalem. But once we're there, I have no idea where we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to know who the king of kings is supposed to be. And yet they go even into the unknown because it is an opportunity for them to experience worship and joy of the savior of the world. And they don't want to miss out on that. They don't want to settle for just reading about it in a book 
or seeing it in the skies. They want to be there at that moment. And we see that juxtaposed with the posture of King Herod, right? He too is disrupted in his palace with this news. It says that he's troubled, right? News that if honestly, if he wasn't merely focused on building his empire and his wealth, he might've been looking for the king of kings himself, right? Out of all people, he had the scriptures, he had the resources, he had the history to be searching for Jesus and being the first to worship him and leading his people to go and worship and welcome the king, right? He who's supposed to know God and love him and his kingdom should be overjoyed by the news that the king of the Jews that was prophesied about is here in his lifetime. But instead, he responds in fear and intimidation. He's threatened by this news. He misses out on great joy and worship because he's focused on what he might lose. He's focused on himself and he misses out on leading his people to goodness and gladness because he can't see that this is a good thing. How many times have we missed out on joy and worship because it's too hard, because the journey's too long and it's not worth it. And we'll rather settle for okay or fine because we don't know where it's going to go and and, and it's just uncomfortable, right? How many times have we missed out on true worship and joy because we're intimidated or we're afraid of what it might mean? So I think that we get to see two examples of what it looks like to respond to the news of great joy. But the second thing that I observe about the wise men is that as they're actively looking for joy and worship, they're led to unexpected places. Really, their year-long journey was a practice of standing in the tension, right, of the now and the not yet. They are people who know that something amazing is about to happen, and yet they walk in darkness for a year, not knowing fully if it's going to happen, right? Like not knowing if what they have guessed and, and aligned with everything else is going to be there at the end. Right? So they stay in that tension. And yet when they arrive, when the star, um, when they go to Jerusalem and the king of the Jews is not, the baby king of the Jews is not there, they're not thrown off and they're not like, oh, well, I guess it's not happening. So let's go home. But they continue to investigate. They're like, do you know where the king of the Jews is? And they enter into this conversation with King Herod, who tells them to go to Bethlehem, which again, right, as really smart men who know um, and, and have read a lot of books, they'd be like, no, there's no way he's in Bethlehem. Let's turn around and go home. But they go. They continue to go to the unexpected place of Bethlehem, and they follow the star, and then the star lands in a manger. And at that point, you're like, I mean, come on right? Surely your picture of what the king of the Jews is supposed to be like and what this procession of worship is supposed to be has completely shifted, right? Because you're at the opposite of place of where you were expecting to be, right? This is not the palace where the king of the Jews, the savior of the world that they've been waiting for is supposed to be, not in a manger with this impoverished couple who have a few belongings to them, right, in this lowly place that is dirty and covered with shame. And yet, 
and yet they are not focused on the shabby lodgings of the manger or the poverty. They're not distracted by their assumptions that the king would be born in a palace. They have single-mindedly been waiting and looking for the savior. And when they finally see him and they see the star, they get to worship him. And it's almost as if for the year where they have been intention and the unknowingness of that journey has prepared their hearts to be open-handed and open-minded about where the savior of the world might be. And so they're not distracted by the circumstances that surround the king of the Jews being born, right? They're not focused on the fact that it's in Bethlehem or that it's in a manger or that this is a situation. They are single-mindedly focused on the king that they get to worship. And again, I think about all the times where I think, of being distracted by, well, this is where joy is supposed to be. This is where Jesus is supposed to work, right? Like this is where, this is how we get to the maximum amount of happiness is if all these things line up, you know? And I wonder if at the end of 2020, as we go into 2021, fully expecting that we're gonna leave behind the darkness and the horribleness of this year, that we will emerge into light, into a brand new year that is gonna be awesome, we might be a little disappointed because we're not all gonna be vaccinated. Things would not have changed dramatically. And yet, despite all those circumstances, I wonder if we might still be primed for joy. I wonder, or if we're just gonna be distracted like, oh, well, it's not lined up the way that I expected it to. So let's turn around and go home. The third observation that I see is God speaks to people where they are. If God wants to say something, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it through the stars that the wise men read, right? And the books that they read and what they have at their disposal. He's gonna speak to them in dreams we see here that he doesn't send a missionary to the wise men to tell them about the baby Jesus being born, right? We don't see that like the Bible drops into their laps, but God still finds a way to speak to them. And when they are actively looking for Jesus, they find him. And I think that that is such good news, right? Because I think that we have these parameters on how God speaks and, and what he needs in order to speak to us. That we think that there are places where we're so far gone that in this place of darkness, there's no way that God could speak to us or, or get through to us the good news that he has for us. Or, or that we're searching so desperately for Jesus, but we don't know if we're ever gonna find him. But we see here that if we actively look for Jesus, he will be found. If we are looking for Jesus, God will find a way, even through a star, to lead us to Jesus. And I know that, again, this has become a very normal story for us, right? We put stars on the tree, stars in the nativity. We decorate our windows with stars. We don't think that it is crazy that God is speaking to these foreigners with a star, right? Like, that that is how he is speaking. And then later on, that he speaks to them in a dream saying, hey, don't go back to Herod. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. And they go in a different way and they become the protectors of the king. They become the first protectors of the king and Mary and Joseph so that they can be saved. 
um, that is an incredible role that they get to play because God speaks in incredible and in unexpected ways. Um, and so even as we sometimes feel like we are in this dark place where God isn't able to speak and we are in this place of sorrow and grief and God, how can God speak into this place? Where am I able to find Jesus in it? Jesus will be found and he is not always in the place that we expect to find him, but he will be found, right? If we look for him. And listen, this year, we're not exempt from joy. In fact, the invitation of Advent of hope, peace, joy, and love is even more important this year. It might feel more like discipline this year than ever because these elements are not based on our emotions, but on truth, right? So even if we don't feel joyful, we're still invited to choose joy. And it's probably maybe not gonna look like Buddy the Elf joy, and that's okay, right? Because it's not a cheap joy that we choose, right? It's not a joy that ignores the pain and the despair of our year and onward. We have all known loss and death and sorrow and disappointment, right? Some of us as small as just missing our friends and missing inviting people into our homes, especially during the holidays, right? Um, to losing friends and family to the pandemic. We've all experienced disappointment. Man, the kids have missed going to school and seeing their friends and celebrating birthdays, you know, um, we've missed big celebrating big milestones like birthdays and anniversaries. People have had to cancel their weddings. There have been a lot of grief and disappointment. And yet in, in the tension of all of that, we are invited to choose joy. Um, I, Sarah Bessie said this in this quote, joy is nurtured not pretending everything is fine, but by holding our hope together with our grief, the good news with our sorrow and naming both as reality. We practice joy because we are clear eyed about our realities, all of them. I love the idea that joy is nurtured, right? It's almost like we have to keep um, rekindling the flame and the embers to nurture it. That joy is not just gonna ignite all by itself, that we kind of have to nurture it. And especially in this season, I feel like we have to nurture that. So choosing joy does not mean that we erase everything else and that it doesn't matter. It means that we hold all these things in our hands and celebrate Advent. That we're not where we wanna be, but certainly we're not where we were. And in this in-between place, I will choose joy. Because honestly, I can't keep walking if I just carry this and not be fueled by anything but sorrow. I can't walk toward the light if I allow the shadows to overwhelm everything else. And so I choose joy because joy will be my survival. It will be our food to sustain us in this long journey. It will be the promise that we are walking towards the light, that there is a light right? And, it, and that I, I, I need to be fueled by more than just what I have in my hands. And during this Advent season, there's been one hymn that's been playing over and over again in my head. And it's not a, it's not a typical Christmas carol or anything. It's actually just a hymn that we've sung and, and worshiped with. But um, 
uh, we're gonna, yeah, like it's just, it's been a reminder for me to um, fix my eyes on the light and fix my eyes on Jesus instead of all the things around it that the world says matters. Um, so I just want to sing a couple of lines for us this morning and just reflect and worship God with it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that even as you were born in obscurity, when most of the world wasn't looking for you, those who were looking for you found you and had the chance and the opportunity to enter into the great joy of worshiping you and being there, knowing that the savior of the world has come. And even as that happened 2000 years ago, we get to celebrate and enter into that joy, knowing that you have come to redeem and you are continuing to redeem the darkness and chase it out and bring the light. God, I pray that you would tune our hearts to joy, tune our hearts to sing your grace and worship you. That it is so easy to focus on all that is wrong that you invite us to gratitude. So God, I, I just, I pray for more joy I pray that you will fuel us in this long journey with your joy and our eyes focused on the fountain that gives every blessing. We pray this in your name. Amen.